0: Welcome to Gender Meowster Podcast Network. Genderful is a talk show featuring non-binary and trans folks discussing various topics and special interests. We kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of identities. All opinions are the speaker's own. This show airs live on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash and VODs with show notes can also be found on YouTube. Content warnings for this episode include transphobia, hospitalization, including details of experiencing illness, social exclusion, and bullying. Hi everyone, I'm Gender Master, I use they, them pronouns, and I'm going to let my guest introduce zeer Hi
1: everyone, my name's Christopher Economu, also known as cpcoart on Instagram and Etsy, et cetera, et cetera. I use he, him, and zem pronouns. Oh, my God, your cat is so cute. And (laughs) special interest-wise, I'm an artist, I'm an activist in the disability and queer and trans circle, especially at my university, and unrelated, I love The Walking Dead and Phoebe Bridgers. That's my (laughs) entire personality summed up.
0: (laughs) I love that. My furry co-host today is Neferkitty. She's about 10 years old and she's a calico for those who can't see her if you're listening to the podcast later. Yeah, she'll be in and out today. I have a feeling. She's very good at her job. Sometimes she sleeps on the job, but she's still doing it. Even when she's asleep, it's amazing. My special interests might include cats. Let's be real. So, Christopher, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know that we were going to have you a while ago and then we had to reschedule, but maybe it worked out for the best because you're in a lovely space now.
1: Yeah, I'm back at university. I got a MacBook Pro, so that it's good. My MacBook Air probably would have exploded if we had done it (laughs) two months ago, so good coincidence
0: it all worked out in the long run i am so grateful to have you here today so there's a couple questions i like to ask all of my guests just because it's interesting to interview gender diverse people about the same thing and see what their different answers are so i'm curious what are some things that you can maybe trace back to your youth that indicated you might be trans or gender diverse one day
1: yeah so When I first came out as trans, I like didn't consider myself to be like one of those trans people who knew when they were like five or when they were really young. And the first realization I had about it was actually from my older sister. And she's looking back at all those photos of you when you were a little kid. I think you had a gender as a child. And I was like, oh, that's convenient because that's how it ended up later in life. But yeah, as a little kid, I like never felt super inclined to be really feminine or be pushed into a really feminine gender role. My like mom is incredibly multi-talented and in, from the arts to sports to science, there was never a push to be like very traditional or fit into traditional feminine gender roles. And that allowed me a lot of space to explore, which was really cool, even if I didn't really know what exploring was as a little kid. And I also had hair similar to what I have now because TMI, I used to eat my hair as a little kid so we cut it really short so when you look at young pictures of me you might not even know that I'm trans at first glance because I basically look like a tinier version of what I am now so yeah signs in hindsight I guess
0: even if I came out in high school well and to me as someone who came out I don't know 25 or 27 coming out in high school sounds outrageously young (laughs)
1: <laughs> I felt outrageously young honestly but you know what it was it's good I'm glad we all have our different journeys of course you are incredibly valid for coming out later in life I have a good friend named Arthur who lives in the Pacific Northwest who I met online who came out later in life and we're both I love him and I love we get to go on our little trans journeys together even if it's wonderful. he's
0: very clearly a millennial and I'm Gen Z my spouse came out when she was 39 there's, oh, wow. there's always time there's always time yeah. I knew Never people would come out in their 60s or 70s, too. It happens when it happens. So, Christopher, how has your relationship to gender evolved over time? So, you talked about you know, when you were a kid, you just look like a smaller version of you today. But maybe your in- interior journey shifted over time, perhaps. Because there was a moment where you, for example, chose a neo pronoun. I'm curious about some of those parts of your journey.
1: Yeah, so... As I said, as like a little kid, I didn't really have any kind of established gender. And I am sh- I know we're going to get into this later, but I was diagnosed with a disability really young. So I had various limitations that would separate me from my peers during like PE and other circumstances because I had like physical limitations. And... As I was growing up in like elementary school and middle school and going through puberty, instead of feeling forced to go into a feminine gender role or anything like that, I just wanted to experiment that way because I had always worn shapeless hoodies and jeans for my whole Mm -hmm. life. So going into high school, I was like, maybe I'll wear shorts and ripped pants. (laughs) which are not inherently feminine, obviously. But my older sister was like, I just graduated high school. Do you want my cute clothes? And I'm like, absolutely. And then I wore them for two weeks. And then I'm like, wow, this is the worst thing I've ever done in my entire life. So maybe I am not a girl after all. So yeah, it was a long period of like, never really identifying with anything, not consciously being like, oh, I'm agender or anything like that. But just like up until early teens, I was just like, yeah, I exist as a, the ki- all kid with glasses that was my the gist of my internal identity yeah and come like leaving high school I moved to la to go to university one of my online friends was just like experimenting with neo pronouns and I was like I'll take a look at this re- incredibly long list of things I've never seen before. It was like one of those master lists of like hundreds and hundreds of neo-pronouns. And I saw ZZM and I was like, that's just cool. So I like started, uh, I started to use it and it felt like really connected to that kind of shapeless, genderless blob that I was as a kid where I didn't exactly feel like I fit in with my peers in any sort of gendered way or even in just any way in general because of how I grew up as disabled. So those quote unquote weird letters, X gets a bad rap, just fell into that little, that, that part of me that I hadn't really come to terms with until I was in college. It's like, oh, it's okay to be the kind of weird little boy that I was as a little kid. And I can embrace that and feel comfortable doing that. And I've used them ever since, and as many ebbs and flows as neo-pronoun discourse happens on the internet, I always feel like really good that I made that decision to to embrace that part of myself.
0: I love that. I mostly use uh, they, them for myself. And Never Kitty has been she, her for 10 years, so it'd be weird to change it on her now. But I have I adopted two kittens this year, and so I decided that that one of them is she her, per p e r like person. <gasps> oh my god! Um, perfect. And perfect. Exactly Sorry. perfect. <laughs> you got it. We love puns. Puns are very good. And I can't remember if Cleo is also She Per or if Cleo's like She or something. Cleo's our youngest. She's not even six months old yet. So there's still oh, time so to cute. discover her pronouns. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. Because sometimes the cats will be like on on stream. So I'll put their pronouns next to their names. And so you'll see like Beatrix Sheper. Oh, I'm That's so cute. Yeah, she That's right. She Fair. She Fair. Right. Cleo is she That's right. She's a little Magical fairy cat, but neo pronouns are just so fun. They're like creative. Yeah, people
1: are so mean about them. They're just so, it's a little whimsy in your everyday life. It's when I, and I was, of course, like nervous to start using neo pronouns because mm-hmm. luckily when I entered college, it was like starting to become the norm for like professors in discussions to be like, okay, everybody, name major pronouns if you want to share. And like being the only person who uses neo pronouns in the room is always. I'm sure it's also scary to be the only person who uses they them in the room. It's similar. Yeah, it's or an it's experience.
0: Like, <laughs> it's an experience
1: for sure. And even if the people in the room just use he, him, which is like fine by me, like dysphoria wise or whatever, it's just nice to have it up, out in the air and feel comfortable enough in myself and also safe enough to express that. And like when one of the people who works for the LGBT center on campus, like, publicly used z here in along with he him and his email signature i was like oh i'm not the only one it's nice Yay. and it's normal which is of course normal isn't the goal but it still feels good to like it's
0: normal that you're not the only one yeah yeah totally oh i love that that's so good i feel like i had another pronoun story right to tell you but i forgot now oh what i don't like is when people hear they, them, or neo pronouns, and then decide they're going to troll you with their answer to what are your pronouns. Oh, it's like
1: normal classic. Yeah. I saw this TikTok that was like misogynistic cis boys use bro as a neo pronoun without knowing it. They're like, oh, bro is just talking, or that's bros. And I'm like, little do you know. Little do you know. <laughs> yeah. I try to ignore it, but if I'm ever like in person with someone like that, I can just be like, shut up. You're not funny. (laughs) Sorry. You're really not. Make a joke that's funny and maybe I'll laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Actually in my freshman year back before COVID, which seems, seems like forever ago, I, like I said, it was like starting to be normal to ask for pronouns, like between people. Mm -hmm. And I was playing Cards Against Humanity, which is already not a good start with some people from my (laughs) dorm floor. And we're, of course, like new freshmen. So we want to get everybody's names. And one kid who didn't even live on our floor. So I don't know why he was there. He was like, yeah, and say your pronouns. And then everyone was like, not realizing he was trying to make a joke. So everybody just shared their pronouns. And he looked super awkward. He was like, oh, I didn't know you were actually going to and we're like, yeah, dude, you're the weird one. Yeah. They don't get it. They don't get it. absolutely. I will, and I bet he, I bet he freaked out internally when he heard one of the people at the table really does use the weird pronouns that he's afraid of from the oh, internet. Yeah. And then he oh, lost. So funny. Cards Against Humanity. So that's even funny. <laughs> he lost cards. Against
0: <laughs> How do you lose the game of being offensive, dude? Come on. <laughs> that's amazing. That story is amazing. I feel like it's very neurodivergent to take that troll comment literally and then just actually share your (laughs) pronouns and it's like like, yeah
1: of course because they can't be like oh no i was joking after you do it because it's i guess now that's super funny so
0: haha that's so just, (laughs) i i'm I'm imagining like one neurotypical dude bro in a sea of neurodivergent (laughs) like queers oh
1: no (laughs) what have i said oh my god the trans med shows up to the queer (laughs) get together and is oh no oh no
0: (laughs) it's so fun oh my gosh i think you won cards against humanity that day so thank you there you have it. trophy oh that was such a great story so let's talk a bit about disability and chronic illness because both of us are disabled but in different ways I imagine what is it marfan or marfan or how do you even say the syndrome that you have
1: I say marfan but some people say Marfin. okay including my cardiologist so whichever you prefer I guess
0: the guy is who
1: invented it is dead so he can't really tell us um <laughs> what what the actual thing is uh um, but yeah uh, marfan yeah, syndrome it? yeah it is I've been giving this explanation since I was like I always say like little kid, I was never little, which is part of the point. Marfan syndrome is a genetic connective tissue disorder. It's fairly rare. It affects about one in 5,000 people. And it basically affects your fibrillin one gene. I say basically and then say a genetic term. It's the part of your genetics that controls like the elasticity and the strength of your connective tissue. So in a Marfan patient like myself, it's more elastic, so hypermobility, being able to do party tricks like this. And also your connective tissue is prone to spontaneous breakage, which can cause quite a few life-threatening symptoms. The biggest being aortic aneurysm and dissection. When your aortic root, I as if you can see my heart down here, okay. is exp- is expanded, bigger than normal. I actually got my aortic root replaced in... June, which is a surgery that most people with Marfan syndrome have to get at some point in their lives. So that means avoiding strenuous activities that could push your connective tissue past its limit because you want to avoid things like spontaneous breakage or a random lung collapse. Or when I was right before my 16th birthday, my spinal, the sac surrounding my spinal cord, which is made entirely of connective tissue, just spontaneously sprung a leak. And I didn't even know that could happen, even though I've been living with it my whole life. So it affects the whole body. It also affects the eyes. As you can see, I'm wearing very thick glasses and have been since I was a very little kid. People tell me to get cooler glasses. I would love, I would love that, but I can't see. So I've embraced them, but yeah, there's, it affects a whole lot of parts of the body. Unfortunately, In my case, I wouldn't call it like severe because I don't know if like it exists on such a linear spectrum because like you need seven out of 15 symptoms to be diagnosed and it can be any of them, stuff like that. But I (laughs) like experienced bad eyesight. I had pretty severe scoliosis as a kid, got spinal fusion surgery when I was 13. I have the flattest feet you've ever seen in your entire life. We go on my I made a TikTok, I think like six ish months ago, yeah. where I showed a bunch of Marfan symptoms and the top comment with like twenty thousand likes is, Oh my god, your feet. Like I've never <laughs> seen anything <laughs> like that <laughs> in my entire life. And I'm like, Good thing I didn't take my friggin' socks off if that's the reaction. <laughs> but yeah, and it also makes you obviously you can't tell this on the stream, but it makes you very tall and also very slender and very long phalange, so really long fingers and toes. So you can see it and there's a lot of stuff that you can't see as well that is pretty scary you get through it yeah i'm proud to be me as they say
0: <laughs> well congratulations on getting the medical care you needed back in june that's wonderful shout out to Hogue. <laughs> that must be your surgeon or your doctor oh say it again is Hogue a medical facility oh it's the
1: hospital hospital okay. yeah
0: gotcha people are now asking for your tiktok so everyone if all of christopher's links are on that link pile of things cpco.art forward slash link it's
1: pinned that video that i'm talking about oh it's um, pinned there you go yeah it's we'll pinned have to go watch so you it later. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i actually i showed it to my uh, my surgeon and my cardiologist and they were like this is cool and i was like Thanks. It got uh, more views than I was expecting. <laughs> it's of, all of the videos that I have that go viral on TikTok are always like Marfan or chronic illness related. Like I just had one go fairly viral the other day that was about like an ableist microaggression. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just very cool. To It's not cool to not know anyone with your chronic illness in real life, but it is very cool to like suddenly meet dozens of people who have your exact same experience and illness on the internet that, by the magic of the algorithm, you were brought together. That's so beautiful. There are hundreds of people with chronic illness in that comment section that are like, yeah, like, I get it. And I'm like, I know. It. It's so cool. It knows exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And honestly, I feel like disabled people led the way with COVID and everyone having to stay home. Mm. Because it's like, we've already been home. We've already learned how to make community online. Welcome to our spaces that we already made. You're welcome. You are very welcome. (laughs) We already figured it out. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, So cool. So how do you feel that Marfan influenced your gender, socialization, and current trans identity? You've mentioned this a little bit, but I imagine there might be more to expound on.
1: Yeah, like I mentioned as a little I remember as a little kid in elementary school. I actually remembered this recently. I had a care attendant at school. I didn't take like special education as a little kid, but I did have a care attendant for those periods where I had to be like not participating in a lot of physical stuff. I think his name was Mike or something. Like instead of hanging out with the girls and boys in PE and the boys help set up all the gym equipment and the girls sit and like gossip in a circle or whatever second grade girls do. I like hung out with Mike, and we played on scooters and stuff. So that's the metaphor for how Marfan affected my socialization, where it was just like I was literally separated from all of the gender socialization that typically happens when you're a little kid. Of course, it starts even before you're born with stuff like gender reveal parties and things like that. And from birth, every a a lot of, if not most, parents push their kid into a certain gender role. Boys were blue, girls were girls wear pink boys play in the jungle gym all rough girls do tea parties like just simple stuff that we like know is associated with each gender but a lot of people don't really think to unpack like parents don't obviously don't think they're hurting their kid by picking pink for their girl or blue for their boy stuff like that but when you're on a third category like they have made you non-binary in a way. Like, they have made you queer because you are disabled. And, like, that just fundamentally affected how I really didn't have a sense of gender identity, like I mentioned, until high school. Because even in middle school, of course, I did theater, as all gay people are obligated. And, like, the first big role I got, ironically, in middle school was Mulan. So I was like... (laughs) this is gonna this is gonna come back later but like my my first relationship was with like before I came out was with a queer girl from theater and I knew that I shouldn't have been doing that as like a seventh or eighth grader but not because like I was a girl and she was a girl but because I thought my parents would be mad at me for dating at Thirteen. I have immigrant parents, and they're like, no, no boyfriends. Like before you're sixteen, and that's why I you're thought like, I was in But what in about, about as a
0: being kid. a boyfriend? Yeah. What
1: about a girlfriend? <laughs> and then what I'm, if I'm the, the boy. boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Like as when I got caught for having a girlfriend in middle school drama, like the number one thing I was scared of was, was like, oh my god, my mom found out that I kissed a girl. I'm not supposed to have a relationship this young, I'm going to be in so much trouble. Like I wasn't afraid of homophobia or anything mm-hmm. like that as a little kid. Cause I didn't really consider, like, I knew that we were queer or something different than what is typically expected, but I never like really identified myself as I am a girl in love with a girl. It was just like, Oh, I really like this girl as a 12 year old and like gender didn't really come into it until mm. other people brought it into it. Um, It was just so natural to me, which was just like, I have a crush on this girl who wears red lipstick at 12 because she watches Miranda Sings on YouTube. That's just, it's just natural. And then when I was older, like going through puberty and then like realizing that the world is terrible because that's what happens in middle school. Everybody's miserable.
0: I a lot of hormones in school.
1: Yeah, a lot of hormones. I was just like, oh, I am a girl, but... I'm ugly. Like I don't, I don't look like this girl that I'm in love with. She's gorgeous. She wears makeup. She wears all these beautiful clothes. Even all the people in drama are like so well put together and so cute. And then there's me, the little disabled girl who like, at that point I had very low self-esteem. I was like, I am ugly because Marfan syndrome made me this way. I had the very, I find it a sad attitude where it's like, If somebody asks you, would you take a magic pill like to cure your disability? And at that point in my life, I was like, yes, 100%. I want to be attractive. I want to be typical. I want to be normal because even though my disability didn't affect me too much, like internally at that point in my life, besides having surgery in the seventh grade, the main thing was like, I don't want to be ugly anymore because people with my body type, and especially as a young girl, being really tall. And being really, like, uncomfortably skinny to a lot of people um, Mm -hmm. makes you unattractive. My big, the classic cliche of the brunette took her glasses off and suddenly she's the most beautiful person you've ever seen in your entire life. And I was the one kid who, if I took my glasses off, I wouldn't be cute. I would fall down the stairs. (laughs) It's not exactly the same option in the rom-com.
0: Yeah. So
1: all of that insecurity and all that stuff was brought on by feeling otherized in my disabled body because people would, I got bullied as a kid. People would make fun of how I look and stuff I couldn't change as what typically happens with disabled kids. And it actually wasn't until, like I mentioned a little bit ago, like forcing myself to reach that goal of being really cute and feminine where I was like, oh, this also sucks. Great. Fantastic. So I thought I was super ugly. Then I tried to not do that by doing all these things that would make me look like everybody else. And I also hate that. And then that made me realize, oh, maybe I'm not a girl after all. And that's what the problem was all along. So It's interesting because I don't remember like hearing trans for the first time. I feel like I just mentioned this somewhere else because I just thought of this example so quickly. Like I didn't watch Miles McKenna or anything like that in middle school or like those types of YouTubers who were like the first to be publicly trans. A lot of people like account their coming out as, oh, I heard that word from this public figure and that's me. I don't have no clue remembering or thinking that that was an option at all until... The only kind of option that I had was you can be an ugly girl and be sad or a more attractive feminine girl and be sad, or you could be a boy. Um, and then very quickly, I was like, I like that option. So I picked that and rolled with that. And I immediately felt attractive. I started caring about the way that I put myself together and suddenly me being tall and having broad shoulders and everything was an asset and helped with my dysphoria and made me feel like attractive. And my otherwise flat chest that made me feel unfeminine and unwanted was like, oh, I don't even have to bind. Like I can just wear a shirt and it's not even a problem. So yeah, it's not even like my disability caused all these problems because I don't want to blame our fans. It's like the ableism that I faced because of it. So Mm -hmm. if everyone was supportive around me, And like uplifted my body and made me feel cute and all that stuff, then I wouldn't have felt so miserable and felt like I had to force myself to be something that I wasn't. But in the end, like if I didn't do that, would I be out as trans today? Who knows? And it now, like confidently, I can say if anybody offered me a magic cure, no way in hell I'm taking that. I love what I have become, even if it came with a lot of trauma as a kid. And honestly, like kids would ask me that a lot in, um, in elementary school and yeah. middle school and high school and stuff because that's their only inkling of what disability is. And I was the, one of the only like visibly disabled kids. And I don't know what I would be without my disability. Like it fundamentally affects like literally everything about me. Like my parents are five, seven, I'm six, two. Like I have big old glasses. Like I have a different body type than my sisters. Like all this stuff, it fundamentally affects just how I look like at a base level and like how I've experienced life up until this point is Mm -hmm. fundamentally affected by my chronic illness. So if I got that magic cure, would I be myself? I don't think so. So yeah. It's nice that the gender journey also came along with like disability acceptance journey too. And realizing that the able, ableists are the problem. It's not me and I'm hot. It's fine. (laughs) Like (laughs) I feel good now. Everything's good.
0: Luckily, there's at least two threads i want to pull on from the what you were just saying one is i know for me always felt like i was never a feminine girly enough girl like i felt Mm -hmm. like i failed gender like i failed being a girl i was never good enough at it and throw in the part where i'm also autistic and adhd so i'm not very coordinated and i (laughs) don't have the social skills of cis women, typical cis women, the ADHD would make me excitable and interrupt people and whatever. And people didn't expect that behavior from women and girls. They did expect that behavior from guys. And so for me, at least there was this sort of transformative moment where, when I realized I was some non-binary transmasculine flavor, instead of a girl, like all of a sudden, all the things about me that were wrong, quote unquote as a woman, we're just okay as a guy. It's okay to be fat when you're a man. It's okay to be hairy when you're a guy. It's okay to be loud and interrupt, and I don't think it's okay to interrupt. Like, that kind of sucks, and that's part of our overculture of the patriarchy that is rude, and I don't like it. There's just, there's all of these things about me, That now makes sense that never did before. And hearing you talk about some of these pieces, you are really tall and flat chested. And so it's, yeah, both of those read as guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting too. You mentioned like weight, like as much as like you see the double standard with like fatness with like men and women, is I would get made fun of for being soup. Like obviously, being skinny is the standard. Not going to debate that. A lot of people want to look like the unattainable literally ill standard of being thin but as a girl like people would make fun of me for being super duper thin and then as soon as I started passing as a man it was like totally normal to have the most chicken leg chicken legs you've ever seen on a person like it's so ludicrous how like men can literally be anything and look any way and be rude and Unattractive, technically, and they can get any opportunity they want. And as soon as you are a little bit out of the standard as a woman, it's throw you away. Goodbye. Yeah. And I wanted someone in the chat earlier mentioned, like, is wishing it's normal. I was going to ask about yeah, Yeah. normal to wish that you don't like your disability. You want to?
0: Yeah, I want to talk about disability acceptance. And so, yes, I was formulating that was my second question. I wanted to pull on. So I think it's really common in, in my experience, in disabled spheres and in generative diverse spheres to wish you could just magically change. Me magically be able-bodied, have more energy, have the body parts that I wish I had and not have the body parts I don't wish I had, etc. It's like mm-hmm. the most common exchange I see in trans discord servers is, oh, I wish I could give you my boobs. Oh, I wish yeah, I could give you this other body part. Try- Let's trade body parts. There's like, there's so they're, It's so common, like probably every day thousands of times a day, that interaction is happening in trans discourse. And so there's this really big, it's almost like a, I don't know. I feel like I might be using this word wrong, but it's almost like a zeitgeist. There's like this big idea looming in Mm -hmm. trans minds and disabled people's minds of if only I could just wave a wand. And so I'm curious about what does it look like to go on a journey of disability acceptance of trans acceptance to I don't know, let go of that fantasy and be comfortable with the reality of what is and what is the payoff of doing that emotional work. Of getting comfortable with that, what, totally. what, do we get at, what do we get at the end? Because there is something you get at the end, and I want to highlight that because I, I can hear it in you that you've gotten there, and I want other people to hear about it too.
1: We all get a small gift box when you finally <laughs> get there, <laughs> mailed to your mailing address. I, I, I first want to mention to the person who made the comment, like you are not a bad person for not liking or being at that stage where you're like, I hate this. Like I hate being disabled. I hate this specific part of me. Like you are not like a failure to the disabled community, or if you're trans, you're not a failure to the trans community. Like it makes sense why a lot of people feel that way, because the society that we're in is not built for us. And it is built to quite literally exterminate us. And it is the natural thing a lot of the time to feel like, Oh, I'm just going to agree with what the world is telling me. And this is how I feel. And that's okay. And of course there's nothing I can do to force you to love your disability. I'm not going to be like, you're going to be kicked out if you don't love being deaf in that specific example. But I would say personally, like I have gone through all of those stages. Like I said, I was diagnosed at 18 months old. So I have never known anything else but disability. And I think that gives me a pretty unique perspective, actually. Like a lot of people, and of course, this is totally fine, realize that they're disabled later in life, whether it be neurodivergence or, oh, all of these symptoms that I've had are EDS or some other connective tissue thing, or like, I'm actually autistic, whatever. Like they realize that, giving it thought, like when you're more mature, when you're in your teens or your early 20s or whatever, even later. But I think what a lot of people in that category tend to struggle with is I've lost something. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought that I was a part of this category that gets all of this, whether it be social privilege or literal ability to do something, and now I can no longer do it. Yeah. And that's hard. It's really hard. Like it's grief, like feeling that you've lost a part of yourself or lost an ability or lost kind of your position in society for like more on the trans side of things. And as I said, it's totally okay to grieve that. I think just that's something I've never personally had to experience in the same way because I haven't lost anything. I just never had it to begin with. So like when I was in middle and high school and people were asking me, like, oh, would you take this magic cure? I was imagining a future that is, I have never experienced and I will never experience. What if I could see perfectly? What if I was 5'10 instead of 6'2? What if I was a typical weight for my height? What if I didn't have to wear these ugly, quote unquote, ugly orthotics on my feet so that I can walk properly, like why did I have to wear a back brace? Why can't I just like, even today after getting spinal fusion surgery, I don't have a straight torso. Like one of my hips goes out fairly severely because they left part of my spine unfused. And that's still something I struggle with self-esteem wise. Like I don't wear tight shirts because I don't want people to see that part of me a lot of the time. But the thing is with like me experiencing that is like I mentioned, it's purely imagination. But when you're, when you do feel like you have literally lost something, whether it be your hearing or your eyesight or like your symptoms of your neurodivergence get like more severe pronounced as you like get older. Like you are literally losing that. Like it's not just an imagination. So you have to come to terms with that. And it's very scary. And luckily I have not had to deal with a literal grief of losing something. It was just like ableist assumptions of what I should be able to do and what I should look like and who I should and like swatting those away. And I do think that being trans helped me with that. Like when I first came out as trans, unfortunately, I had a six month period where I was like bitter about being trans. And I thought the only way I could be a valid trans person was immediately going on testosterone, scheduling my top surgery. There was a, another guy in my grade who came out before me who like already had his hysterectomy scheduled for after he graduated high school. And I was like, I have to be like that in order to like be the be norm because Mm. I can't be cis. So I have to be the grade a trans person. And actually, luckily in my grade, there was this other person who, was non-binary, had bright yellow hair. I knew them in middle school, like under their their dead name. And then they came back to high school and they had come out as trans and they wore, can I say dick? Uh, They wore little earrings, like to give their graduation speech. Like they had all like this cool gender expression and like very clearly didn't fit into that box. And I had both of them in my English class before I came out. So like I was exposed to the, I wouldn't say the extreme ends of the spectrum but of like gender nonconformity versus like being very strict with what we expect the mm-hmm. perfect transsexual to be. And I realize, and I can talk about a bit about grief with this is my disability prevents me from medical transitioning. Like I have it's a little difficult to deal with anesthesia because of my Marfan syndrome and my height and my weight, like when I had my surgery when I was 13 to get my spine fused, like it was three hours longer than normal because they messed up the anesthesia and they couldn't wake me up very easily. That was my first experience with surgery was nearly not waking up and testosterone raises your blood pressure. And one of the things I take is a blood pressure suppressant or a beta blocker because an aortic aneurysm Di- dissecting could mean death in six hours so I mean. at that time my parents and I never came out to my parents they found out very quickly because I'm a terrible liar my mom holds up a binder so that my relatable. late partner had given me and we're like <laughs> we're like what's this and I'm like a compression top and then she just looked at me and I just started crying my eyes <laughs> like oh, right oh, a week after I came out. And they're fantastic. <laughs> Shout out to my mom. She has like a Protect Trans Youth phone case that I designed now. And of course, the first <laughs> few months are always hard. And the number one like issue that they had was not like, oh, we don't want you to be trans. It's like your identity and what we perceive as being trans, which is like medical transitioning,
0: True.
1: is scary because you are also disabled. We do not want right. you to be in danger because you want to change your body in this way and that's reasonable to me yeah i was like yeah they maybe foresee that's some not.
0: challenges you're going to navigate and they had feelings about it yeah
1: and, and like similar thing which where my parents were like i i think a lot of trans people have heard this is i don't want you to face discrimination stuff like that and at the time i was like furious i was like what do you mean you can't allow me to do these things and i was diagnosed with gender dysphoria by my primary care physician and she's let's talk to the endocrinologist about testosterone and my mom was like can we slow down, please? There's so many things we need to consider. And like when you're in that stage as like a kid, I was like 16, it feels like my mom is being transphobic and she's not being reasonable, which a lot of the times is usually what's going on. But in my case, it was like truly was more complicated. And like hearing that out was having to also come to terms with maybe I can't be that most attainable trans person. And over the next couple of years in high school. I just slowly came to terms with that where it's, okay, maybe I can't go on T. My voice is pretty low for what's considered to be a girly voice. And like I mentioned, I have a pretty flat chest already, so I can just bind when I feel like I need to. And I've got pretty broad shoulders. I'm tall. That's enough for me. Like taking what I already have because I couldn't get more and like accepting that as this is a fine trans body. Like I'm not less worthy because I didn't get top surgery at 16 and stuff like that. And oh, I was going to mention something else. but was it? Oh, I'm forgetting now. But yeah, I would definitely say. Oh, I remember now. Another thing I got involved in high school. Probably my biggest, uh, not probably, definitely was my biggest thing in high school is I was on the debate team. Nice. And shout out to the debate team. Number one ranked the last two years of my high school career.
0: Were you Lincoln? I, didn't peak in high school. I like to say.
1: Oh, I did Harley Parliamentary. Nice. So neither of those, <laughs> yeah. I, I think ours is the least, least popular, but the thing about debate as <laughs> some people may know, some people may know is you wear like fancy clothes. Um, so yeah. when I was like a freshman and a sophomore, I was first, it was funny. I was the only freshman on the debate team and I was the only freshman girl on the debate team. And I didn't particularly have nice dresses or anything like that, but I still had to wear them to, to be formal. And like the nicest thing that like the f- big first step, step that my mom helped me with is like a couple months after I came out, we like went to Banana Republic and got me a suit for debate because I go to seven or eight tournaments a year, and like that was like felt as good as getting a tee shot for me. Love that. I yeah. have a support, like I have support from my support system, and I got to wear a, a suit and I looked cool in it yeah. where and i would bind it at debate tournaments and at my last tournament of my senior year we were at states and i just turned to my debate partner and i didn't have my binder off i just had my shirt and i was like can you see my boobs and he goes no and then i never wore a binder again nice. i was like i trust this guy i trust like that's it like i've been doing this for two years it's uncomfortable i had three lung collapses in my high school career One of which happened during a debate tournament and I debated the whole time, like three days. And then it's
0: ridiculous.
1: (laughs) No. Oh, my God. Okay, now I need to tell this story. So the week before it was like two weeks before finals in my junior year. And I was eating Chinese with my mom, like close to our house. And I got this like weird shoulder pain. And I was like, this sucks. I was just like doing this, like hoping it would go away. Mm-hmm. And then my mom had to deposit a check at like the local bank. So I was like lying down in the car waiting. And I suddenly felt like this ripping, horrible chest, like the worst chest pain I've ever experienced in my life. And at that moment, I was like, oh my God, my aorta is dissecting. It's happening. Like the scary thing that they tell me is going to happen is happening. Yeah. And I called, my mo- I called my mom crying. I was like, like, help me he runs out of the bank seeing your mom run because she wants to help you. Kind of the best thing you've ever you feel the most supported you've ever felt in that moment. She ran to the call the car, called nine one one, got to meet the sexy firefighters because they're always hot for some reason. Um, <laughs> it's like all, so I it's don't all that pole climbing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> they are like, How are you doing today? We're gonna take your blood pressure. Um, <laughs> like, and I'm like, okay. Oh, how am I doing today? I don't know. Um, <laughs> you can take my blood and I like got anytime. in an ambulance and <laughs> <laughs> they figured out I had a uh, lung collapse, just yeah. so like with Marfan, yeah. you can just like spontaneously burst a lung, which I didn't know, but then I found out.
0: That's um, very scary.
1: Yeah. And I like got a chest tube and it like fixes it pretty quick. Like it just allowed the, the lungs like a, a balloon, like where in, it has a little rupture and it's not like the rupture itself that causes the lungs to collapse. Like the air will crush it. So they told me like the lung always loses. So if there's anything in there, it's going to squish it. So if you take the air out, it'll just pop up back to normal. Okay. So I got a chest tube, got that fixed. The next week we were going, I lived in Northern California at this time. We were going to San Diego for a de- travel debate tournament. I was so excited and they decided, let's not go on a plane Just in case, like the weird air pressure does something to your lungs, because it had just only been a week. So we drive eight hours down to San Diego. And that night, I'm like, it was currently, there were like fires happening in San Diego at that time, as if
0: fires are happening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I was like feeling a little wheezy and I was like, Hmm. oh, it's probably the, the smoke. It's probably the smoke. And my lung just healed. It's probably just like having a bad few hours. Little did I know that at that point at 11 p.m. on that Thursday, my lung had collapsed
0: again. The same lung or a different lung? The
1: same one. Yeah. Yeah. Lefty. Shout out to Lefty. Lefty (laughs) lung. (laughs) But like my debate team was so sweet. Shout out to high school debate. If any of you are in high school and haven't joined the debate team, do it. It's great. But my coach was super sweet. He carried all my stuff inside for me. And also the good thing about being the only AFAB person on the team is you get like your own room because they you can't like share i I think there was like a school policy like you you had to be like sex separated so i had a king battle to myself nice the tv in my room felt
0: great that's extravagant when you're 16
1: seriously i was like (laughs) this is the cool i was watching infomercials on the tv and i'm like this is the coolest
0: (laughs) i've ever felt um, True luxury infomercials <laughs> in a king size bed. <laughs> it was like a
1: bacon. It, they, I, I remember the commercial. It was like a bacon, some sort of bacon tray device that like uh, I, It was oh,
0: stupid. So uh, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. But it was I unnecessary to add to your it was
1: kitchen. A little bit unnecessary. <laughs> um, if you're gonna eat bacon, just eat bacon. But anyway, I like woke up the next you're morning faggled. and I like the one thing is I you won't. It's hard to describe unless you've gone through it yourself. Like. When your lung is collapsed, like you can feel the air in your chest, like your heart is in that area as well. And it's Mm -hmm. like beating through air. So it's like a very weird sensation. And I woke up with that and I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I feel pretty terrible, but I don't want to go to the hospital in a place where like we're not insured. Like we would go to Kaiser Permanente, but Kaiser Permanente North and South are different. So all this stuff. And I was like, I don't really want to miss the debate tournament and all this stuff. And we just figured out a way to justify that I was fine. And that's not my mom's fault or anything. Like, I also thought, oh, it's just the smoke. You know what I mean? And you don't want to go through that traumatic thing again. So I went through the next three days, like just slowly bending over more and more as the days went on. Like I asked to use the golf cart to get around the campus. I asked to sit down in all my debate rounds because I would get out of breath standing up, which I started doing after all of this debacle. And it's seriously changed the game. Shout out to sitting down. And then we like did really well at the tournament. We got to quarterfinals. I was like, sweet. That's good enough for me. That's great. Ah, Congrats. Congrats 60 year old me. And then we did an eight hour drive back on the Sunday night. I went to school on Monday. I went back home. My mom's, I need to exercise. She went to the gym. I still felt terrible. So I was like, let's go to the ER. And she's like, fine. At 8 p.m., we drive to the Kaiser Permanente ER. I feel horrible. I get a chest x ray. My mom makes me do my math homework because I had a final next week. So I was crying doing my math homework. That's, and then the yeah. our doctor comes in and goes, so you see this line in your x-ray? Yeah, so your lung is like down here. And I was like, wow, okay, I got to skip finals because I had to get surgery.
0: It's, um, like, <laughs> it's like your sock fell down, except it's your lung.
1: <laughs> except it's your lung, yeah. He's, I overheard him talking to my mom. He said, this is what we call... A moderate to large pneumothorax, um, <laughs> but yeah. This is so what we but call
0: seriously uh, bad
1: time. Uh, and apparently, in Marfan's, like it can just keep happening over and over oh, again. So yeah. they decided to do a surgery that like sticks your lung to your chest wall, so it can't collapse again. So I got that surgery. Got to do incompletes on all my classes, and yeah, that's that story. I don't remember what the original question was. It's okay. Um, this has been a wonderful but, series of stories. Uh, I wonderful- was actually. President presented. of the debate
0: team. Oh yeah. Yeah. You so mentioned, what did you
1: do Lincoln Douglas?
0: I did do Lincoln Douglas. That's why I asked about LD because frankly CX just looked too heavy. I didn't want to cart around all it's those very intense. chests of papers and our school didn't do parliamentary. There was no one who was doing that. Other schools did, but our team was small enough. My little high school that we just stuck to like. I think we actually maybe only stuck to LD because the other ones were, it's too complicated to diversify. There's only Honestly, like eight of us on the team or something. So
1: Yeah, that's only two partnerships too. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of practice. It's funny in debate because like Harley is kind of a, the lazy debate form in that you don't have to prep beforehand, which is the best thing. Oh, <laughs> I have to wake up at six in the morning, but at least I didn't have to research for 12 weeks before I came here. Yeah. And also improv is very fun. That's yes. like my favorite part of it is like coming up with rebuttals off the cuff. And now I'm fantastic yeah. at arguments with and anybody. I,
0: <laughs> I wish I'd had that opportunity because I never went to state for Lincoln Douglas. I did go to state for improvisational speaking. I didn't nice. win, <laughs> but I went to state for it. And it was very fun. It's
1: so fun. It's yeah.
0: so fun. Oh. And the school that's the state competition was held at ended up being the college that I went to when I graduated. Oh, cool! Because I—that's like <laughs> that's how I toured colleges. Is we'd go to all these debate tournaments around the state at all these different colleges. So I had a sense of what their campuses were like, and therefore I yeah, knew when like, I liked the most. I was like, well, obviously, it's so it's this funny. One. Like
1: knowing the camp—like I know where all the Stanford and like Santa Clara University classes are because those were the two big debate tournaments. That's yeah. all I know exactly where we're going. Don't even bother pulling up a map. I've been here four times, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I think the original question was what's the payoff is you just feel good. I have to say, like it's exhausting hating yourself and it's exhausting hating your fundamental identity because you truly cannot change it. Like I couldn't pop my lung up by myself. That kind of faulty metaphor, but like a lot of people think that like your dysphoria is going to be fixed as soon as you get all the surgeries and go on T and become stealth and all this stuff. But if you don't, also unpack like why all of those things make you feel so terrible, you're going to just find something else to be upset about. Yeah.
0: It's about decolonizing your brain.
1: Yeah. Suddenly your nose is too feminine or your eyes or your neck is, you need to get an Adam's apple implant or you need to have your, of course, it's totally valid if you get face feminization or masculinization. All I'm saying is you will always pinpoint that hatred and that insecurity onto something else if you don't unpack that hatred and insecurity for like why it exists and same exists for disability. If you know that you can't change it, you really need to do the work to hope or need to do the work to not want to change it because it just makes you sad. And it's a long, obviously it's a long process. I'm 21 and I was diagnosed at two and I like just got there in the last few years. So like I found that disabled community helps with that a lot. Like having disabled friends who also experience the same thing. Yeah. And even you can vent to each other, like this sucks. Like I hate having to take pills every day. I hate only being able to hear out of one side or only being able to see certain things or not like, I can't drive. I can't cross the street regularly. Like that sucks. Like I, I still complain about my visual impairment all the time. That's one of the most frustrating things that I deal with on a regular basis. Cause like a lot of the times I just want to be able to see. I want to be able to feel safe and feel like I don't have to ask for help for everything, but I also have a roommate who will gladly read anything that I need for me because he values me and values my access needs. And I have friends who automatically take me to the nearest elevator instead of making me take the stairs. So like, it's possible to be frustrated and have a support system that allows you to be frustrated, but still helps you out in all the ways that you need. You'll get there.
0: I I got to say, there there is something really special about a friend and or partner who gets it. Like, Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, even if I'm in an unfamiliar space, even if I have just one person that knows me and gets it, my comfort level in that unfamiliar space goes way up. Like, you know, my spouse is also neurodivergent and trans and one of my best friends is in the chat right now and was totally my like accessibility buddy at this big camping event that we enjoy going to and there's something just so special about having someone who gets it and for me it's i don't have to ask for someone to to carry this chair for me they're just willing to carry it for me so i have somewhere to sit when we get where we're going and side note i'd love a good wheelchair one day so the chair yeah, is like, itself i can just that. wheel around and stuff <laughs> another
1: yeah. tangent i'm about to go on but like People get so up and up in arms about like ambulatory wheelchair users, like Mm -hmm. being able to walk, but you want a wheelchair. Like I use wheelchairs at like theme parks and like Costco. I use like Uh. the scooters because walking is hard sometimes. And I Mm want to sit down. And also those places like very rarely have chairs. So I would love to have a chair that can come with me so I can sit down. Like it's really that easy and people are so like, you don't deserve to be sitting down on a trans... I I don't get, I don't understand. Yeah, Ridiculous. Use a PSA, use a mobility aid if you need it and want it, and it'll make your life easier.
0: I had two come in the mail last week. They're my first ones. I've got these gay crutches now, they're so gay. My friend, Uh, who is also a wheelchair user, got them for me as a gift because they got a small windfall of money and was like, I wanna give all of my disabled friends like mobility aids with my extra money. And I was like, you're such a good person. That's so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. Totally amazing. Totally amazing. Okay. So we've blown past the whole talking about grief piece, which is okay. I was going to ask about parents and having grief, but we've mentioned that. So maybe I'll keep that out to my parents. Yeah, I'm pretty good. So other, is there anything else you'd like to say about your experiences with visibility of your transness and illness? Like you aren't stealth and either like about your trans or about your illness like it's on your body people can see it the moment they look at you i feel like i also don't pass as a guy which is not necessarily a goal of mine one day i might what is how what is that how does that feel are you comfortable with it is it uncomfortable does it vary moment to moment what else do you want to say about that whole thing
1: i would say my transness is probably less visible than my like disability like i'm very open about being so like i'm walking somewhere you might not know but if I pull out my laptop and you see the he, him and Z and pronouns on my laptop cover, or you hear me talk or I like for some like I'm stretching backwards and you oh my God, he has boobs. like you might notice, but I do I tend to pass on a pretty regular basis and it's kind of scary mm. passing like when I was at uh, my freshman orientation, I was like you can uh, I'm very lucky where like at my university, you can pick your pronouns and your preferred gender and it, you don't need to provide documentation or anything, you can just say, I'm telling the truth and they'll put you in. If you want to be in the men's dorm, you can be. If you want to be in the women's dorm, you can be. And like gender inclusive housing is an option. It's really cool. But I was freshly wearing, like I had just gotten little holographic, like he, him and ZZM pronoun pins from my friend the Doodle People. Shout out to Alice. And I was like so excited to wear them. And then I was in my dorm room with two other guys, cis guys, and one of them said the T-Sler. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to quickly remove my my pronoun pins without saying anything and make sure that i always have my uh, my deep voice on so that he Mm. thinks that i'm cis like being stealth and like suddenly like your transness could be like a source of harassment or violence is the scariest thing. Like even I was walking home yesterday from campus and I overheard the guys next to me, like angrily saying the word transgender. Like I had no idea what the context was, but I'm like, I'm just going to keep walking slowly and hope that they don't turn around and somehow clock me or stuff like that. But yeah, it's, but anyways, like with visibility and stuff, I would say my illness is probably the most visible part about me. Like I didn't wear shorts until I was 18 because I was afraid of people looking at my, I think I called them the most chicken leg out of chicken legs earlier, which is like a self-roast. Oh my God. Self-roast of my chicken legs. LOL. Anyways, I am like very noticeably thin and there's no getting around that. Like I have weirdly long fingers and I have these extremely thick glasses. And whenever I'm looking at something, that's more than this far away, I go like this and I squint to see things. And I hold my, where's my phone? I'll usually hold my phone like this close to my face and people can clock, oh, that's a disabled person. Or they'll see me sitting on the ground waiting for something because there's no chairs. Or I cross my legs when I stand because it's easier to be balanced. There's all these things of like that quote unquote normal people do not do. And That visibility, like I've also come to terms with, I'm not necessarily scared to be harassed or anything like that. Like the worst kind of microaggressions that I go through are like people asking way too many questions, which I'm sure like you've gone through and a lot of disabled people have gone through, which is, oh, oh my God, the worst is with my glasses. They're like, I'm like, hey, can you help me read the menu? And instead of helping me read the menu, they go, oh, but you're wearing glasses. I take a deep breath and I'm like, yes, I'm aware that I'm wearing glasses. I still can't see. I'm still low vision. Like I, my vision is 20, a hundred in my right eye. Like it's, it's not. And then wearing glasses I'll say doesn't that.
0: solve the lighting in this restaurant or whatever.
1: No, it does not. Or the um, font size and, on the menu. Or the fact that the font is nine. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, but why don't you just get surgery? And in my head at this point, I'm like, can you just read me the menu, please?
0: I'm begging you. I'm i do not ask me you about your hemorrhoids. Don't ask me yeah. about my eyeballs. <laughs> I don't want
1: to explain my lens dislocation to yeah. you right now. I'm <laughs> clean, but I can't read what the soup is. It's so frustrating how so many non-disabled people like feel entitled. And so many cis people feel entitled to marginalized people's entire story and yeah. like entire body and what makes you exactly this way have you had the surgery why haven't you had surgery for your eyes why blah 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 why are you in a wheelchair you know what it's happened like, to you do you want and to the give the worst, me a million like,
0: dollars to fix all of it thanks thank you very much you're not going to contribute uh, to my gofundme then you can heck right off.
1: yeah i'll take a check <laughs> and if, of course there's one thousand dollars per like, answer <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: pay me for my labor
1: especially with Baby people for- who, uh <laughs> like Uh, and this tends to happen with like kids too, because they haven't been taught to say it better, but I've had plenty of adults say it too, is what's wrong with you? Uh When it's, I understand saying, what's wrong with you? Like when you're angry at somebody, like they cut you off in traffic or whatever, but Mm -hmm. someone genuinely asking, look, finding a disabled person who looks disabled and being like, what the hell? It's like basically saying, what the hell is that? Like I'm a freak at a freak show and something that I've experienced a whole lot throughout my life because I, my illness is so out, like visible because I am literally the textbook definition of what someone with Marfan's looks like. Like every time I get nurses and doctors in my comment sections, they're always like, we read it. We had a unit on Marfan syndrome and you're quite literally the encapsulation of everything that they described. And I'm like, yep. I know my picture was on the Marfan Foundation website for a decade. Like, I get it. I'm quite literally what Marfans is. And like being stared at throughout your whole life by children, mm-hmm. by adults, by old people. Like, my most recent experience that I remember is like I was visiting my parents and I was dropping stuff off at the mailbox, like the post office. And I like my mom drove me. I, it was, half of a block, walking into the post office and then walking back. Little did I know that an old lady had stopped in the middle of the sidewalk, turned around to watch me go into the post office, stared at me through the window for the few minutes I was in there. And then when I came out, she turned back around to watch me go back into the car. And when I went into the car, my mom was like staring daggers out the window. And I was like, what's wrong? What happened? And she's there's a bitch behind you looking at you really loud, and the old woman scurries away. There's, it's funny because I can't see very well as I mentioned, so I don't always notice when people are staring. But my mom does, and she has yeah. no problem being like, "What the hell are you looking at?" Which is fantastic. But yeah, like you treat you like a circus animal when you're visibly disabled. And I love it. And obviously, I'm doing an interview about it. Like I love talking about my disability and my experiences. But if your automatic assumption is that I am less than human and like an exhibit that you can gawk at, you're not meaning like it's not genuine curiosity. It's like poking at a cage and hoping it does something. So, yeah, it's a struggle. But I do. One of my friends has EDS in the Disabled Student Union. And she's like, when I saw you and I saw your fingers, I was like, oh, I think he has Marfan. And she was right. So it's nice to be visible and be a beacon for awareness, as I have been through my entire life, because like the Marfan community deserves it, in my opinion, and we can use a lot of visibility. So if I can be that visibility and take those terrible questions and be able to make a platform like I have and be happy with who I am, despite hate comments or whatever, like I can do that. I can take that. I've been through eight hour open heart surgery in the last three months, like your hate comments are not gonna affect me. Like I can be that beacon if we need me to be.
0: But yeah, my affection and love for you grows as you continue to say words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm really enjoying our conversation. I want to briefly apologize for not wording my last question very well. I feel like oh, that's I've totally fine. floundered a little bit. So on the topic of making sure that we pay trans people. Just as a side note to folks in the Twitch chat, I have dropped links to Christopher's Etsy shop and case shop. Do you want to take a moment just to show us your cool phone case on your actual phone that you have? Oh, right? sure.
1: So I uh, partnered with Case for Pride Month, and this is one of the designs that I made. It's my favorite. And I just released a personal collection with them that's disability and queer pride themed which are all at that link. And that's very exciting. Like I was like, oh, they invited me back after Pride Month. But yeah, I make trans and queer and disabled stuff. Quite a lot of it. And I make a lot of custom stuff too. Not the cases, but like buttons and stickers. So if you use Neos or have quote unquote weird flags or unconventional flags, I got you. It's my favorite part of the job. It's just making stuff for fellow weird queers. But yeah, thanks for the shout out.
0: Yes, Mm. Absolutely. I love making
1: stuff, so it's not just about the money, but I do appreciate getting paid for the work that I do and yeah. stuff like that. But
0: maybe yeah. if you get to do another Pride line sometime, if you want to throw in some non-binary pride stuff, that'd be rad. Oh,
1: yeah. Love I wish a I did non-binary pride more.
0: phone case. That'd be so cool.
1: I will keep that in mind for future, of
0: course. You are Let's valid. out there. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, on stream, we're just covered in non-binary everywhere. So yeah. <laughs> everyone watching us is just beholding the beautiful <laughs> color scheme. So Christopher, how can society help make everyday life more accessible for people with Marfan syndrome?
1: That's a good question. Like I said earlier, Marfan syndrome, just with anything, exists on the spectrum, right? So like some people with Marfan do are able to see fairly well, like they don't have lens dislocation, Or they might not even have the stereotypical body type of super tall, super thin, and they can pass as not having Marfan. But I would say one of the number one things that would help just generally existing is having Marfan syndrome is like media needs to stop demonizing how we look. Whenever I make a TikTok video about disability, I would say... At least 75% of the comparisons that I get, some people say, oh, you look like this celebrity or you look like this celebrity is getting comparisons to monsters. Slenderman, S, there was like a specific SCP. I think I have a list actually. I made a list from my most popular video because I was, wow, these people are like a little mean, but I think it's funny. The dad from Coraline, which is funny. Tristana Madero's from Wreck. Uh, Ender, all of these a child stick figure like all of these things where it's just not a person but you look like them because you have yeah they guessed the scp correctly i just saw it on my
0: list nice scp 095 uh, for those who don't see the chat
1: yeah it's i would like to get more paul danos than a literal monster that's trying to kill everybody and that can be a complaint with a lot of disabilities. Anne Hathaway's character recently had a limb difference, and it was just the villain has the limb difference, or the person with dwarfism is the villain, or the ex- like the sev- severely mentally ill person, as we've seen in Split and in Joker and in et cetera, et cetera, is always the villain and wants to kill everyone. And if those stereotypes did not exist, like it would be easier to not exist as a circus freak. Like I mentioned earlier, like people, when I walk down the street, don't just see like a tall guy who like wears glasses. They see, oh, you look like this horror villain and that's freaky. I want to know more about you because you freak me out. And I want my body to stop being called freaky and disgusting and like just allowed me to exist as hypermobile without you getting freaked out that my fingers can do weird things. But yeah, I would say a lot of people don't think about just general ableism as like inaccessibility. Because if I walk into a space and I know that everybody thinks that I'm a freak and that I don't belong there and that I'm not on their level, like that space automatically becomes not safe for me and not comfortable for me. Like even in speaking of ableism, like In my freshman year, again, a lot of stuff happened in freshman year of college. I lived on the third floor of my dorm building and I would use the elevator. And so many people in that dorm building, there were nine floors, were so up in arms about anybody on the second or third floor using the elevator. They were like, if you use the elevator and you're not on the fourth floor or above, you're a burden to this entire dorm. And you're ruining the experience for everybody else. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Wow. And one girl stood up and said this, like in front of everyone during an event. And I yelled at, I was like, some people are disabled. And mm-hmm. then she got all awkward and sat down. Yeah. And they had to put signs up in like the elevator banks that said, not all disabilities are visible. Please let everybody use the elevator because it's literally an elevator it's the most basic accessibility thing that everybody uses and you're going to be up in arms about it. Like being like, I, even if I needed it and I did need it a lot of the times, I shouldn't feel peer pressure to exhaust myself by using the stairs because people think that I'm a burden, right? Like yeah. that social pressure to even potentially injure myself is like wild to me. Like yeah. that, that's so normal. And I hope that it's a little better, but like considering how people are treating masks and stuff like that, I don't know how much better it is. But yeah, I would just say try to unpack your biases as much as you can. If you think that somebody doesn't deserve something like using an elevator, unpack why you think that and why you think it's lazy or worse off for somebody to use the elevator when you think they don't have a justification for it. Like, and also mind your own business. That's another access need for me is yeah. mind your own business and the world would be easier. But on like material level, all crosswalks should have like sound indicators. A lot of the ones around my college campus do not. And that's really scary, especially living in LA where it's a like a car centric city. Yeah. So you will get hit by a car if you accidentally jaywalk, like making text bigger, like it doesn't have to be 12 point on a sign or a flyer. Like it was really sad. One of the magazines on campus, had this like beautiful new magazine issue and I picked it up and went to read it. And the font was, I've never, I've actually never experienced this before. The font was too small that I literally could not read it. Like even if I had it as close as possible, I couldn't read it. And I was like, just felt this like stunning disappointment that was like, Oh, nobody is disabled on your staff. Nobody, because Somebody should have said, we need to make this bigger. This is inaccessible for so many people. It was like literally 10 point or something like less than that on this magazine. And I was just, and the color contrast was also not accessible. So even if I could read the size of the text, dark background with dark text, like it was a mess. So just think a little more, like if different types of people are consuming this, how would that make them feel? Could they even experience it the way that I could? Stuff like that. Yeah. That's of course, varies person to person, but just be nicer to people and the world will be a better place for everyone with Marfan and everyone with a disability. Honestly, we would feel a little more safe everywhere if we knew that people didn't dehumanize us every time they see us.
0: Yeah, I'm curious if you use any sort of screen reader technology ever. Or if you don't want to talk about that, that's also fine.
1: I do not, but I do realize that I appreciate it. When you have AirPods like Siri, I got them recently. Siri will read your messages to you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of nice. Not having to, because like I said, it's kind of embarrassing. And this is internalized ableism talking like having your phone this close to your face because it is a visual indicator of disability. And when people stand behind me in line, they see that my text size is like, extremely big on my phone so they can read literally everything that I'm doing. So yeah, I don't use screen readers, but um, I'm currently part of this research project for disability studies at my university where we're like doing a survey on like how to make social media more accessible like how much people use access features and like how do you use them and how do we get people to use them stuff like that and i've had the opportunity to be the guinea pig of using a screen reader because i'm the person in the class who can't see very well so it's nice being able to experiment with that but i don't need it on a regular basis no
0: yeah i've been working on using alt text more consistently In my social media and places that I post things, and it's caused a couple of things. First of all, it makes me think about: is whatever I'm about to share important enough that I want to take the time to write alt text? If it's like mediocre, maybe I just won't share it because it's not good enough. It's not worth like taking that time. But it also, when other people write alt text on images, sometimes they'll point out things that I hadn't noticed, and maybe it's just Mm. my neurotype that like I'm not picking up that detail, and so. For some reason, like reading a description of an image that I also can see gives my brain all this extra information that I didn't have. Like, I just didn't pick it up originally. So it's, I love watching shows with the captions on because I have auditory processing stuff with my like autism and ADHD and all the words run together in a big blob. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. It's nice Um, to get the sound effects too. It's like growls and I'm like, he did? Yeah, and when they describe the tone of it, so if it's laughs angrily, yeah, exactly. Because with autism, it's like sometimes they don't understand the emotion behind it. So there's so much more information that I get when I turn on these accessibility features. Even as someone who like, maybe I'm not the like person they had in mind when they added closed captioning to their stuff. So yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. I love it. Like
1: being a visually impaired person who writes image descriptions. Because luckily, like I made the image, so I like know all the details. But Like you said, a lot of the time, like people will point out stuff that I didn't see, which is the point, right? They wanted me to see it. Why, If they didn't care enough for me to see it, why would they put it in the description? Like they wanted me to know that she's smiling or that the sun is shining or whatever. Like it's nice, like to get all the details, even if technically I can see these. Yeah. It's also fun. It's fun to write them sometimes. Like I'm working for Look Deeper, which is a like disability creative magazine. And our next issue is coming out fairly soon. And one of the things we're thinking of doing with a launch event is have like all the like it's going to be in like a it's like a gallery style thing Mm -hmm. online where like you can read or you, you can have the image descriptions read to you in the author's voice of like they're describing their art to you and then the image description becomes like poetry or a part of the art and that's that's
0: really cool I'm really into that <laughs> that's, see that's why I love audiobooks read by the person who wrote the book because it's I get to hear they their voice it. I get to hear the intonation they meant when they wrote it down like once in a blue moon they will add a sentence that's not in the book that will be like oh yeah by the way this thing so it's like extra secret content my inner completionist is yes (laughs) perfect it's so good so how does being trans and disabled impact your art practice
1: yeah so it's like the whole thing i guess is the main impact i started by making my very first art piece was it's called take me home and it's like a ufo that says take me home instead of a little beam and then it has little pride flags in the dome and it's referencing void punk which is the fancy word for embracing feeling alienated and like embracing your natural form as like a dehumanized person so like for me being disabled being aromantic being trans all things that i get dehumanized for and instead of trying to prove my humanity to people who want to dehumanize me i just go screw it, I'm an alien, like whatever. I'm from a different planet and that's fine. Like even the word marfanoid, which is like a term for someone with marfans and it's a term for the body type as well, like very much sounds like an alien race. So coincidentally, I am literally named something that sounds like an alien race. And those first designs like were specifically about like transness and queerness but then as I realized more about my disability and started using the word disabled specifically I realized that was really the major part of that identity for me so like from the very very beginning of making digital art and like sharing it online it's always been about my identity as a queer and disabled person like I've been doing art my whole life as they say you know my sisters and my mom are all artistic as well. And like my my the middle sister in our little trio, she used to draw me like the giant cast of characters in all of the shows that I really liked. So she made a Mario one with all the Mario characters and all that stuff. And I would just copy them down and try to do what she does. And then that grew into whatever I have now, which is stickers and pins and buttons and shirts sometimes. And like the whole incredulous case to fight thing that's like beyond my wildest dreams. So I'm happy that I've stayed true to that part of myself. I haven't at least felt like I've sold out and been inauthentic at any point of Mm my art career. I feel like I'm staying true to myself and my identities and the way that I make things is very much about my experiences and trying to uplift the experiences of others. Yeah. So yeah, it's been nice. Just kind of a little artistic diary kind of. All my self-portraits are are deep um about my experiences with like disability and transness and stuff. So that's been really cool. Yeah.
0: What brings you disabled joy? Meeting other people with
1: disabilities, I think is probably the number one thing that like warms my aneurysm heart. I was trying to find a f- better way to say that. But in my freshman year of college, I was very isolated as like a disabled person, especially because the campus that I'm on is very inaccessible, like incredibly inaccessible. And at that point, the Disabled Student Union on campus didn't exist. It was actually founded when the pandemic started in March of 2020. And that summer of 2020, when we were all online and I found the DSU because I like asked the disability minor specialist about it. She's Oh yeah, there's like a crew of disabled people who all hang out. And I'm like, what? Nobody told me. So I joined. And immediately I was like, I'm in paradise. Everybody gets it. Everybody's experiencing the same thing. Everybody like also wants to find community with other disabled people. And like that, I'm grateful for that every day of my life, even though we've done all this advocacy, that's frigging exhausting, like in In February, we occupied the administrative building for 16 days in demand for hybrid access and a bunch of other demands for black and brown students in collaboration with other clubs on campus. And like sleeping in an administrative building for 16 days sucks, but it was also one of the best experiences I've ever had as a member of a community. Like it was beautiful how accessible it was, how everybody cared about each other, how we had, mutual aid going. And we ate meals together and we brought a frigging projection screen to watch Euphoria on Sundays because we knew we were in for the long haul. Like having community, even if it's community through struggle is like so beautiful. And I don't think I, I really wouldn't trade that for anything. That's been one of the best parts of being in university and owning my disabled identity as an adult has definitely been community.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experiences. I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the things that you've made because they are cool. Thank you. So how did you get into pride product design? How do you go from being like a person with some devices that makes some cool stuff to like, now you have an actual thing that people can physically hold in their hands and give you money for?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, my, my first kind of Dabble with like digital design was or like simpler artistic stuff was Inktober back in 2019. And I know the Inktober, I think the Inktober guy has gotten into some hot water since then, but it was like I challenged myself to do every single day and I ended up doing it. And I like centered my designs around like liberation and social justice and all this stuff, even though. Like the words weren't explicitly about those subjects. And I asked people, I was like, would it be cool if this was a sticker? And they were like, yeah, that'd be cool. And then I got a coupon to Sticker Mule. And I was like, okay, then I think I might do it. And I did it and people bought it. And I was like, is this happening? Like I'm 18 and people are buying my little cute things for $3. And then as that grew and I got more inspired and started adding more pride flags and doing more designs and stuff, I got a button machine. In December of 2019 Mm -hmm. and that allowed me to follow like flashback to like March of 2017 or 2017 I started making custom pride flags which are if you look on my Etsy or on my Instagram I have some recently posted they're combinations of different pride flags that make up a single person's identity So they're like a little artwork that can represent the queer part of who you are. And I was making those for free as a 15-year-old. And then I decided, okay, I've made like a thousand of these. Uh, It'd be cool if I could make this wearable and like people could wear their identities on their sleeves in a way. And I started paying for having people pay for my labor, yay. And (laughs) making these designs to order. And it was so fulfilling and it still is so fulfilling. It's one of my favorite things to do is like, you have eight labels and you want me to make a little artwork for you. Like I got you, I'm going to make you something cute. And it's really cool to, to get to know all of the different combinations that can exist in queerness. And like, it's infinite, literally, like I've barely gotten the same combination twice and I've made hundreds of them. And it's really cool to like be able to make that. And as I grew, I, like I said, added more identities, had more products like specific for specific types of people and, I've stagnated a bit now in terms of making new products because of like last few months with recovery and stuff like that. But I'm hoping to get more into it with this case Casetify collection of these graphic designs, emulating my design style and like hopefully expanding over the next year to even bigger pastures. But yeah, it's been really cool to go from, I'll send you a PNG that I made with Microsoft Paint and... Now I send you a sexy little button in a cute package with purple packaging (laughs) that matches my business cards.
0: Still use paint? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I actually used
1: my first Etsy earnings. It took a while, but to get myself an iPad. So I had been using my phone. I had originally used MS paints and then I was like, This doesn't look great. So I started using Procreate on my phone and I didn't have a stylus. So I used my finger. Like I drew with just my finger and my phone from May of 2019 to like for that whole year, which is pretty ludicrous. I don't think I could do it now. And then I bought an iPad for my birthday the year after and I. Spent. I splurged the $10 on the Procreate app, and now I know how to use, like, Photoshop and stuff, too. But i that's for extra fancy stuff. It's a little too hard for me now. But, yeah, no more MS Paint. She's somewhere on my computer, but I hope she's sleeping soundly. She started my career. So (laughs) I appreciate
0: (laughs) it. I love that. So what about... You've talked a bit about your Pride stuff. Do you have activism products that you want to tell us about that you make? What is that? So
1: I have a few that donate to mutual aid and like community-oriented oriented efforts. I have a sticker design called Pay It No Mind, which is what the P and Marsha P. Johnson stands for, and that donates money to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. I have a sticker that I made, to the big rush of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020 that says Black Trans Lives Matter, and 100% of that is donated to the Transgender Div... Oh, I always forget the acronym. It's the TGI... Justice Project, Trans, Gender Diverse, and Intersex Justice Project, which originally was run by Miss Major Griffin Gracie, who was at Stonewall. And those are two examples of like things that, like me as a white trans man who typically passes, I am not the pinnacle of oppression. Like I have safety in the fact that I am white. I have safety in the fact that I am a man. I have safety in the fact that I live in Southern California, Mm -hmm. and if I can use that privilege to uplift the voices of Black trans women and communities that don't hold the privileges that I do, then I try to. Like Mm -hmm. even like I mentioned the sit-in, like that was so beautiful to me because there's so few movements that you see, especially like I'm at a I'm at a PWI primarily white institution for college. Mm-hmm. Um, and like these, like students of color have been through literal hell, and the university does nothing about it. They raised apparently eighty an eighty eight million dollar endowment for Black Lives. They called it and an, the fund for Black Lives, and Black students have seen none of it in the past two years.
0: He's like using it for.
1: Exactly. It's just sitting there and students are like, hey, could we get a little funding so that we don't drop out? And they're like, maybe, but probably not. And like less than 5% of the student population is Black. Like like less than 1% is Native or Pacific Islander. And those numbers have stayed constant for the past 20 years. And this sit-in that we did was like a culmination of decades of oppression of those groups of color. And then the kind of newer fight of like disability justice and disability advocacy that had been brought on, especially through the pandemic. And it was like this beautiful intersectional mesh of we're all fighting for the same thing and fighting for liberation. And if I, as the only white guy in the room, can use that to amplify the Black women leaders who have literally been doing this for their entire college career and aren't being listened to, then hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Like it's as someone who's not immunocompromised and can literally put my body on the line, like I will use that privilege however I can. And if I can bring that into my art by just donating a few dollars, whenever I can to mutual aid efforts, like as we've been encouraged to do for the past two years and should have been doing for even longer than that, that's the bare minimum. Like that love and that all those orders or whatever, like that funding is coming directly from my community. I should not be like, oh, I'm a privileged white trans man, so I can just keep all of this because I deserve it. Like, There are people who are more deserving of the support and the love that I get, and if I'm going to get all of that, then I should be able to give some of that back, hopefully
0: show that love to my community. Folks in the chat are agreeing that's the right way to use white male privilege. (laughs) Yay.
1: And if, if I'm ever doing it wrong, I hope to goodness that I wouldn't hide in my shell and not take accountability. Cause I like, there's no point in call Like I can't label myself an ally to the community that I am not a part of. That's up to them. And that was another thing with the sit-in is like, uh, they were making jokes that like, usually I'm uncomfortable around white people because you guys suck, but you're doing pretty well. And I'm like, literally that's, I'm so honored to hear that because And I don't like, I don't deserve a medal for that. You know what I mean? Like I'm tolerable to be around based on like the centuries of oppression that you've been around. Like, great. We should all be striving towards that. And I'm glad you feel comfortable. Like, it's just so wild to me that so many people don't. And of course I am not perfect, obviously. And this is not me saying that it's like, Nobody, so many, so few people try to do that work at all, try to make the people around them feel as comfortable as possible. If I do something wrong, the response is, oh, sorry, I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that anymore. It's not arguing or belittling you. And more people need to do that. I don't know. That was a tangent, but we should be giving back to our communities. They deserve like, everybody deserves liberation and happiness and to feel secure and safe. And we should do, contribute to that as, as much as we can. So I try yeah. to.
0: Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is there anything else that you want to say about either like stories that you have about designing your products or do you have any favorite product designers like other people that have designed cool pride products or do you feel complete on this topic?
1: I can shout out a couple of my favorite pride people. Juniper Bug who goes by Howdy It's June Bug on Instagram. It is an alti-gen artist and it makes a lot of cool stuff like pins and, or badges and stickers and stuff on it's so, ko-fi if you want to check it out and then i also mentioned arthur a while ago who is at uncle gay also a wonderful artist he's great uh should i shout out? they're like those two are my were my inspirations to start my shop in the first place so i always try to shout them out when i can so fun you can't see it but on the flag on the wall behind me i have a flag print that is very cool that says to be queer is to be holy and it has a little angel with top surgery and it's on a trans flag that's by samson ceramic also another very cool artist if you just go in my following list on my instagram so many cool artists on there yeah check those out they're my friends and they're great
0: awesome i i tried to type down as best as i could some of those things while holding never kitty here awesome So is there anything that we missed about being a disabled trans artist that you'd like to make sure that you say today?
1: Not that comes off the top of my head. Hopefully through the 20 tangents that I went on, somebody found a nugget they can hold on to for the day. That
0: makes them feel good. I think there's been some great nuggets, especially around like disability and trans acceptance, like internalized acceptance. Um, Plus it's fun to talk about debate.
1: Oh yeah. It's so fun. Like my my dungeon master of my current D D game is doing debating like after college. And she was like, I'm trying Parley this weekend. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so fun. Even though I don't do it anymore.
0: It's very cool. Christopher, can you share an experience with gender euphoria? Ooh.
1: That's one I've had recently. I guess I can talk about my sister one day jokingly called me her sibling. Like X-I-B-L-I-N-G. And it's not even just, oh, that's a very gender affirming term or anything. It's just exemplifies the effort that my family has put in over the past five, oh goodness, five years of being out as trans. And it's, even if it's like a little inkling of, oh, even though she's older, she's in her late twenties, like she, she acknowledges that I don't use just he, him pronouns and makes Jokes about me being like an alien like I do and all that stuff. It just fills me with a lot of warmth seeing that my family like is doing the best that they can to get it and is supporting me in all the ways that they can. So that's definitely a privilege that I wish more people had is a really supportive family. But yeah, that's one little inkling that I've experienced.
0: Cool. All right. My last question for you is what would you like to make sure folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary or trans issues?
1: Don't be mean. Like a lot of, like we mentioned earlier, there's a lot of bitterness in, in trans community, unfortunately, because a lot of us are frustrated by the circumstances that we are given and that we can't really change. And a lot of people lash out from their internalized transphobia. They make fun of people who may be more marginalized than them, who use weird pronouns or have more unconventional gender expression or whatever, and feel that they are above them because they are normal, quote unquote, in the eyes of this world. But everybody should realize that we're all in the same boat. Like you stepping on your trans siblings is not going to get you any higher. They're just going to keep raising the bar. So hopefully anyone watching this and hopefully we'll get to this point in the community as a whole, but transness is not a curse. And you projecting that onto people who do find joy in transness really just makes the whole community a sadder place. So hopefully everyone who is going through internalized transphobia, everybody who is battling the medical industrial complex, everybody who is not in a supportive environment or who is kin Somehow, one day, figure out a way to just accept everybody who comes along and help the most marginalized instead of making fun of people for existing as they exist. Yeah, I've grown from the little angsty binary trans man, all caps, from when I was sixteen into the Zem everybody's afraid of. I. Uh, uh, it's, We're delighted. It's, it's worth it to get through that. So. Hopefully, and you it helps getting older too, and like realizing that a better future is possible. Radical imagination is the thing that's gonna get us to liberation because we should be fueled by our love for our community, not just the hatred of the people who let us down so
0: yeah, that. that's so good, thank you so much, Christopher, for being on the show. It's been such a delight to have you today, just as a thanks so much for having me. Yeah, totally. As a verbal acknowledgement of our cross promo timer that's been going off in the chat this whole time, Christopher Zhe pronouns is a 21 year old transgender queer and marfanoid artist and activist behind C Pico Art. His work radically celebrates Zier intersectional body identities and communities. And that hyperlink is art forward slash links if you would like to check out. Christopher's awesome stuff. Thank you so much. Jennifer would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. Feel free to join us live on Twitch on Mondays. Check out the replays on YouTube on Fridays and keep an eye on your favorite podcasting platforms for edited audio only versions. As Nefer Kitty says, trans rights are human rights. That's right. Forgot to mention that next week's guest is Rio and we're gonna be discussing mental health and coaching for queer folks. Thank you.